1: Welcome to the Box Set Pod, a, a Box Set Pod special, which could also be called a Creative Kale special, um, if you've heard any of those. Um, I'm joined by a very special guest. His name is Tom Leonetti oh, wow. Maguire. So Leonetti, clearly come from uh, Lyon. Yeah,
0: um, so it's my it's my Sort of, uh, it's my grandfather's name, it's like my my mum's family name. Um, uh, yes, yeah, Italian comes from southern Italy, it actually means little lion, Ooh. hence uh Little Lion Entertainment. That is ah. our company. Yeah. Ah. Wow, there you go.
1: So, you had a chip on your shoulder from a young age about <laughs> having to be a little lion, <laughs>
0: just uh, about being Italian Irish as well, I suppose. Yeah. What a mix. I know.
1: a mix of passions. (laughs) Celtic passion and Italian passion. Yeah. So you've got excellent taste and you can sing really well as well. No, I can just, like, drink a lot. (laughs) (laughs) You can do Guinness or wine. (laughs) Or limoncello. (laughs) Uh, I should introduce Tom. Tom has done something incredible. Tom, not many people, when they die, will be able to say, I did something with my time that is worth pride um <laughs> and tom did tom has it i'll let i'll let tom to tom what yeah. have you done
0: what have i done what have i done again um i wouldn't i wouldn't go that far but don't be british about it be italian about it uh okay what it's, is the most it's fucking amazing
1: you can say this
0: uh so about 3 years ago um i i i trained as an actor and was working as an actor um And just sort of almost by accident really like stumbled into this world of like immersive theater or however the fuck you want to dress it up, whatever you want to call it. But like that, that's what it was when I sort of came to it and, um, worked as an actor with people like Secret Cinema who are very well known, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I did a show called Heist and I was in that for about a year and in that show you you physically ran around a huge building in Marlebone and you committed a robbery. Um, wow. And yeah, that yeah, was a lot, a lot of fun. Um,
1: and, um, the audience, it was like a, uh, what's it called? Promenade. Theater, yeah. So, the so audience you, you run around.
0: around and you like knocked holes through walls and like evaded guards and got locked up and like, and then you ended up in a room and you had to actually sort of like basically yeah steal the painting. Oh. Um, and, um, yeah, and then basically was sort of sick of being broke and sick of being an unemployed actor, okay. and just got to thinking, what what would I really want to do, or what would I, if if there was if this burgeoning immersive theatre thing is real and it is real because mm. I've seen it, mm. then what what would I want to do? What thing would would I want to do more than anything? Mm. And. Um, was drinking in a pub with some mates and came up with this idea of the crystal maze. Um,
1: All the best stories start either on a stag do <laughs> or, or in a pub.
0: Yeah, we were in a we were in a pub in, near Liverpool Street in London, and um, I find that between between four and six pints is is epiphany moment. Yeah, it's like you get like this rare clarity. <laughs> Uh, and then after six pints, this kind of diminishing returns. But. I
1: find between one pint and two is where <laughs> um, really good pool playing happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm yeah. an excellent pool player. Yeah. Beyond two, I can't play pool anymore. But yet when you reach four pints, that's when you go, why haven't we... Why haven't we set up a business yet? <laughs> You're talking to a, a mate you've not seen for four years and he's bored and he's a, a doctor. We should Oxford. look after the rabbits. Yeah, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's exactly. Well, we'll come back. There's okay, a number of topics. I'm going to start making it. notes of all the things I want to deal with on this podcast. <laughs> Continue your story. Are you talking to um, mates? So, yeah,
0: and hit for point clarity and um, just sort of announced that I was going to, Remake the Crystal Maze, and to to sort of much derision from my mates, and uh, woke up the next day, and the idea had stuck and was still there, uh, and that was that was three years ago. So we have now remade the Crystal Maze, the the London, uh, so we've remade it as basically as a live massive experience that you can play for yourself. The idea being that it's your turn to be the star of the show, mm-hmm. so we put the audience, we, we sort of. Take away the disconnect between sort of shouting at the telly box and the disconnect between the, the traditional audience sat in a dark theatre the watching, fourth wall watching is something. Gone. Yeah, it's fucking out the window. Yeah. The wall's out the window. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's your turn to be the star of the show, and you come and you play The Crystal Maze exactly as it was. Um, and the London venue's been open for a year, uh, and we've just opened another bigger, better crystal maze here in manchester um where we're recording today uh and we we co-produced the the tv show last year with, with Stephen merchant at channel four mm-hmm. and yeah i suppose i suppose i'd have to agree with you it is it's is something worthwhile to have done
1: it's uh it's it's a, it's been a lot of fun so so much to talk about um where should we start first of all is is it how much bigger and better is it than the london one cuz in the north we we enjoy anything that's bigger and better than london <laughs> it's um it so it, it's
0: different so there's 24 new games entirely new games and this time we went away from basically reimagining original games from the tv show And we yeah. actually sort of went outside the box a lot more and basically created 24 new games um, that are at various levels of insanity. So there's one which is basically a, a life-size, human-size space invaders.
1: And What? And I you... didn't do that. Right, full disclosure, I've done the Crystal Maze in Manchester. It's as, It's at the old Granada Studios and... I got to go down there as part of the team from XS Manchester, which is a radio station that I do show on. Tom invited us all down and we, we got as part of the sort of previews to have a go. And it was bloody brilliant. <laughs> I mean, and and this is, uh, you know, I want to talk about this more as well. I find it very difficult to break up all my thoughts. I'm so excited to be talking to you. Um, One of the things people who listen to this podcast know is that I'm a big Disney nut, and it's not that I've watched every Disney film and and all that. I I think, as a business, what they've managed to do is obviously phenomenal. You can't deny that they've been quite successful. They've done okay, yeah. Um, And one of the key turning points in Disney's history was where Walt Disney, who had made his company public, and it was therefore run by a board, the board were then much more involved, and he could be less controlling over the films. The films turned to shit for about 20 years. He went very miserable and kind of retired quite a bit into himself, hmm. and started working on a secret project with selected uh, people he called Imagineers from the animation departments and stuff. People he really liked. Hmm and they would work in secret sheds. In, which it wasn't that secret, everyone knew where they were, but no one was allowed <laughs> in unless Walt invited them. Okay. set up a separate company to run that, which was called WED, Walt Elias Disney or something. Anyway, what they were working on was based, began with um, his obsession for trains that went round his garden. He built a little toy train set around his garden, and they used that as a starting point. And um, what they created was disney world and that was kind of just like the first animated films that disney made where he was obsessive over the product mm. every penny would be spent to make sure that this experience was the best possible for mm. the audience well the 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 profiteers got involved and those middle films became less good meanwhile he was using that obsession to create this next thing mm. and that was the next massive success, another great example of it being successful. Mm. And the criticism that um, Disney World gets from people is kind of the, the word perfect is thrown at it quite a lot. You know, It's too mm. perfect. You go, well, what? what, what? Yeah. <laughs> you can go in a hotel room and go, oh, This is too <laughs> perfect. What's <laughs> well, some shit in the corner? What's... <laughs> um, and so the long way around this is when I went to the Crystal Maze. Uh, A couple of weeks ago in Manchester, I truly thought because I live in Britain and because there's very few examples of where our culture and our corporate culture at the moment really fund a product properly fund the creation of a product, we get away with cheap versions of everything. I really walked towards that building and said to myself, right, practice saying how great you think this is, even though it's shit, <laughs> you're going to be dragged around a bunch of rooms with, like, <laughs> with the, the, the walls are going to fall over and it's going to feel... There's going to be, like... Um, I mean, I've done a lot of the escape room games and I love those things. But also, they are thrown together by stuff you've found in a charity shop. And there's that kind of... Look, the audience is bringing a lot of imagination to this to make mm. it great. With what you've done, it really is... Uh, phenomenally great that, <laughs> am, the, the attention to detail is is brilliant down to um, if you have to take us up some stairs the Crystal Maze music's playing as you're running up the stairs um, the, down to um, the, the things that I noticed the kind of things that Disney was obsessed with was like the queuing systems when you're queuing for a ride there's a story that you're told as you're queuing mm. and the tiles on the floor are perfect mm. the floor isn't crap in the crystal bays the the corners the doors work properly they're proper latch doors it's Mm. not you've done it properly you've designed it properly and made it a truly really good experience and it costs what 50 quid to to do something like that is it yeah 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 which sounds expensive at first i think to a lot of people go well 50 quid's a lot of money but actually if you think that escape rooms are like 15 quid and you're doing one room and this Mm. is you you could be playing three rooms in every zone um and having this whole experience it's a it's a, it's a brilliant price for a brilliant day out. That's my poster slogan. Thank you. Thank you. How much in the process of creating this there must have been a million decisions where you could have made a cheaper decision?
0: Yeah. Um and and and, and thank you very much. I I take the compliment. It's like myself, Ben and Greg, Ben Hodges and Greg Fittock uh, my my we're the, the three company directors and we have invested an awful lot of time and effort and blood, sweat, and tears, and like, you know, like, like hammering in nails and painting stuff when it needs to be done, mm. and and we also spent an, an enormous amount of money, like, on, yeah. on doing this, on on getting it right. Uh, it's interesting you say about the Escape the Room games. I am just waiting for the one which is just like fully the emperor's new clothes and you just walk into a fucking empty room (laughs) and and there's just nothing there and it's like full imagination land someone will do it some absolute genius charlatan will do it Uh, you're Um, looking at him
1: the the cogs are turning
0: but but yeah uh, no we, we we did spend a lot of money and a lot of time a lot of effort and like we also just like care about the individual's experience and like at every point as much as we can, we, we've put ourselves into people's shoes and thought, like, you know, is there going to be noise bleed into the next room? Like, is is this Aztec atrium, Is does it really feel like walking into a clearing in a jungle in Mexico and seeing a temple and, like... How do we control the light conditions enough to make it feel like it's like it's bright and mm-hmm. like it's actually daytime? Sunny, yeah. And like, how do you control the heat in Aztec so that it's warm in there, mm-hmm. but it's cold in medieval, which has to be more like a baronial dungeon type mm-hmm. thing? Um, yeah. So, yeah, like we,
1: you know, I mean, like, yeah, you bridge the the, the gap in those those ways.
0: We, we tried to leave nothing, no stone unturned, and yeah like I, I i i mean i look out I look, I look at what's out there and i mean we've got 24 escape rooms mm. and four gigantic atriums and you know like a an aztec scape and a mars scape and mm, mm. like and yes really yes for, yes perfect. you could sort of call 50 pounds an, an expensive ticket price but um you know, you, you can go see a, a play that you've seen before
1: and, and pay more. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, a gig ticket. Someone was telling me they went to watch Drake a few weeks ago and paid 250 quid for the ticket. I mean, <laughs> <Like> what? Yeah. So <sighs> <To> there's <listen, laughs> yeah, 20 Drake songs that all sound
0: exactly the same. Yeah. Um, exactly. No.
1: Ex- well, no, no, Drake's amazing what you're talking about. I, <laughs> i'm not gonna slag off the highest selling artist in the world be my guest old man ask me to name one drake song hotline bling oh yeah that one um uh yes the uh sorry before drake uh, 50 quid sounds expensive 50 quid sounds expensive full stop for for anything when people don't really know what they're going to be engaging with you know but your London one is like sold out for months, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I, I, I guess it was this, even in London. Like, I guess people maybe it was a little prohibitive to begin with, like fifty pounds, and people were like, and and like you say, at your experience of it was like, Jesus, what is this going to be like? Is it going to yeah, be shit? Exactly. And like, and like, yeah, <laughs> like it's everyone testimonials. says, testimonials.
1: It's the it's the word of mouth and the testimonials that, that sell. And it. then
0: people come and see it and experience it, and mm. they're like, oh my god, it's mm. like and they tell their friends and yeah but our... you see,
1: the reason it, the reason 50 quid sounds expensive is because we live in britain is because of what i said mm. there is nothing that we spend 50 quid you know yes you can spend 50 quid to go and see we will rock you and it's shit mm. but most people think it's fine you know mm. but if they were spending 50 quid to go and see if they if they had access to hamilton uh, the musical in New York, which you can't get tickets for. Um, I haven't seen that because I can't get tickets for it. But hmm. if it was here, I, it would change the landscape. It would change the the bar for what a yeah. good entertainment is.
0: And I believe as well that it's because, again, immersive theatre, I don't want to like whatever you want to call it, but it it is new. It is new. And so there isn't precedent and people aren't sure what it is. And there isn't this like benchmark of class. Yeah. But actually... I'd like to think ourselves and certainly people like Punch Drunk and Yumi Bum Bum Train, what they do is incredible. Like, it's it's incredible. It's of an incredibly high standard. And it's just as good, if not better, as, as other theatre and other yeah. traditional forms. But people think, well, well, you have to spend £100 to go and see a good West End show because that's what it costs. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I don't agree. I don't I agree, agree that it has to be that. And, like, I like the fact that immersive theater is burgeoning and people more people are coming to it and realizing that you can go and have an absolutely mind-blowing experience for 50 pounds mm. go and see a punch drunk show like it's like being in a film mm. it's amazing
1: i think what theater has has struggled though with so you're talking about things that still a very very small fraction of people will engage with and um, little shout out for another podcast that I do for the Lowry Theatre. Recently interviewed the artistic director of the Birmingham Royal Ballet, David Bintley. and we were chatting. We got onto the state of theatre, if you like, mm. and and funding particularly because the Birmingham Royal Ballets. Have you ever seen the Birmingham? Birmingham Royal Ballet? No, I haven't. It's one of you'll love it. It's one of the most phenomenal theatrical, uh, well-funded, again, all of this, Mm. just really well-funded and so gets a really good audience. But the funding that they're getting to do that has been, like, slashed to the tune of 50%. Mm. He pointed out that Winston Churchill actually created the Arts Council um, because he recognised during the war the value of good art for people. Mm. And Thatcher came along, and in the Thatcher era it was decided that theatre should pay for itself and and we wouldn't subsidise these silly productions anymore, you know, plays and things like that. <laughs> uh, so what you get, the creation, is the West End Theatre. You get the profit-making um, huge musical numbers, which, of course, there's a place for, fine, all of that. But... Um, as that's taken over, you also get what what you and I would sit and watch and say, actually, you don't realise, but this is only costing 20 quid this set tonight if you average it out and we're all mm. paying 100 quid a ticket, you know. Um, and it's not that great a quality. Mm. What you've managed to do here with the help of a, uh, of a well-known phrase like the crystal maze, you've managed to take... Um, immersive theatre to a mass audience and potentially you're taking it to a mass audience and you could have made such such uh, shortcuts on that and made more money in the short term mm. but I think what you've created is something that will will you can unfold this across every city in the country but I
0: I completely agree with what you just said but I suppose I would I wouldn't necessarily take issue with with the government, or, I mean, like, we should, mm-hmm. like, collectively as a society, we should, but I also take issue with, like, in that there's got to be some responsibility for artistic directors and people who run theatres to To be profitable. Not, not, but not just go for, for the easy dollar yep. and the easy money and the bums on seats, but yeah. actually, like, they have a responsibility to be makers of art and yeah. risk-takers as well. Yeah. And And... And not just do the same safe musicals and the same stuff. Mm. And like, I I also think it's it's um, and not not to sort of like get all like class structure on it. But last like, thing
1: you said when you came into this room to me before we started was, "I'm not going to slag off theatres. <laughs>
0: no, 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 I'm Go not, on. I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> but it's amazing over the last year. The amount of shows that I've gone to see, and it's and it's always the same, the same demographic of people, and that's like, yeah, white rich people. Yeah, and like I also think that like fundamentally that's not healthy and not good either. And like the other that, that
1: needs to be looked at. The other podcast that I'm doing for the Lowry Theatre is is called what is dance and it's trying to engage young people with all forms of dance so i have spent the last six months and i'm spending the next six months exactly in what you're talking about and the challenge for all of those theatres is um you do have this established audience which often is older and whiter and more middle class um and they will come and watch the classics i sat and watched a um, birmingham royal ballet piece which was experimental it was risk-taking and it made me cry in the first five minutes it was one of those it was just phenomenal there was no set it wasn't a balcony scene it was modern dance and it was amazing i had no idea what i was watching and it just overwhelmed me it was phenomenal Mm. Uh, the audience that spoke some of the audience around me that i spoke to left in the interval and said you know i prefer the costumes You know, and this is the problem that they've got is that some people really are funding the product and really are taking risks but how to get people how to persuade people to come to the theatre once they're in their 20s or 30s when when their experience of theatre up until that point like you say has been of the same classics it's the GCSE set texts Mm. which are often done badly is really (laughs) tough that's the challenge and Let's let's so let's go. But like, yeah,
0: but like for example, I I grew up in in Tottenham in North London, which is like uh, not the best of areas. I'm sure like everyone will agree. And yeah, it's horrible. But there's but there's no but, there, <laughs> but there's no reason why like kids from Tottenham wouldn't go to the theatre and see a particular play and and absolutely love it. Yeah. But if you ask most like teenagers in Tottenham, like whether they'd go to the theater like they'd laugh in your face punch you in the face yeah exactly <laughs> um
1: but but like... let's do it let's go back to the beginning right because i wanted to, um so you went to drama school yeah which one did you go to i went to mount view mount view in wood green wow that's a proper musical tits and teeth type place is it it is yeah it is um I went to the far more responsible Rose Bruford uh, and studied directing. So I am better educated than Tom. Let's just make this clear. Tom was singing Lay Miz songs while I was reimagining Triple threat, though. Triple threat. Uh, Can you dance? Oh, I can dance. (laughs) Okay, we'll have a dance. You had to
0: do a dance exam.
1: (laughs) Did you really? True, True story, yeah. Oh, my God. What did you opt for? Modern dance? Uh, no,
0: you had to do three dances. I had to do a waltz, a Cuban merengue, and a shotiche, which is a classical Scottish dance. Can you show me some
1: Cuban merengue? I would, but I've oh, torn, I've leg, torn I mean...
0: my ankle ligaments, so I'll spare
1: you that. He just wears that I know, get out of doing the <laughs> merengue. Um, in case it comes up. You can make all sorts of claims. This yeah, I'm cute. an astronaut, but I've got cold. cold. Um, yeah, so... Uh, so I'm gonna put
0: a Nike tick on this cast, by the way. Just
1: say so. a what? A Nike tick, yeah, oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> make it cool. <laughs> put a NASA badge on. <laughs> Go or a Ferrari the f- badge. Okay, fast the beat. Um, all right. Theatre. This is the problem with it, right? Every- <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> Everything that you're talking about, the problems start at school. The problem started about age. Five because Shakespeare is poorly taught or... Shakespeare's poorly taught but the reason Shakespeare is poorly taught is that the every school in the world was created every education system was created in the Industrial Revolution it was created in order to make people literate enough to go to the factories and to we were creating a workforce an organized workforce As a result, all the subjects are in a hierarchy. So you have the sciences. If you think about how important the subjects were seen as at your school, Mm. I'm absolutely positive you'll agree it goes science, maths, or math, science. Um, The humanities somewhere in the middle, the arts are at the bottom. Mm. And even within the arts, there's then a hierarchy. Music, kind of the most scientific, if you like, is at the top dance drama way at the bottom my school didn't even teach dance and drama it had to be a separate you know club outside school <laughs> um, and that's true of most people in any education system in the world and we, we the, the, in order for that industrial revolution um, system to work you have to create a system whereby there are right answers and wrong answers if you take a risk if you think creatively you will be in the wrong mm. box there is a correct answer to this problem, which will mean that you can then um, you know, get the grades you need. Hmm. In the arts, there are risk-taking and imagination and those things are the thing that you're trying to encourage, which makes it so difficult even to sit within the education system. Hmm. But the funding, the attention, the value that we as a country give to those things, like David Bintley said to me, he feels like he's had to apologise his entire life. I'm sure you've felt the same thing. Going to Mount View, you have to... You feel apologetic to normal people who mm. do normal jobs. Oh, I go to drama school. It's like saying I'm a student is bad enough, but saying I'm a drama student, it's almost like, oh, well, I could get punched in the face for this in this country. Yeah. Which it actually... Uh, or that, it's true. or that, or that, just like you're lazy or a bum, yeah, or like you don't want to do any work, yeah. You and want how to be many an hours actor. a week did did we do compared to our friends who went to normal university? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god, it's like forty hours a week minimum of pretty pretty strenuous. Yeah. Stuff. Well,
0: I I went to Sussex to do a BA in English Lit, and and then did my MA at Mountview. Right. And I did <laughs> my MA at drama school was. Far more intensive yeah. than my BA in English. Yeah. It's a nightmare. Which was basically like four or five contact hours a week.
1: Yeah, I, and and it's all that thing of 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 the the, the the most advanced. I was saying to Stuart, who's outside here, who works with me. I, um, I was thinking the other day about if you saw a bunch of penguins or a bunch of giraffes doing a dance, and it wasn't to attract a mate. It was collectively line dancing. <laughs> You'd think it was the most <laughs> phenomenal thing ever. We'd be like, oh, my God, have you seen this? <laughs> the, as a species, one of the things that sets us apart is that we can create story and learn from story, but also also just create things for fun and to make ourselves feel better that are artistic. Mm. In a way, the creative people, be it including art- architects and people who build houses and things, but the people who make entertainment purely for joy Mm. are arguably some of the most advanced members of the most advanced species when it comes to thinking Mm. (laughs) that we have. And yet, we are made from a young age to apologise and to think that this is something less worthy than being a builder, you know. Yeah. Um, So, all of that is to say that at school, there is no money, there's no attention put into what you're going to go and see at the theatre, what's good... The kind of productions that you get taken to see will be... We can name them between us. It'll be Willie Russell with Blood Brothers. It'll be Mice and Men. To Kill a Mockingbird, perhaps. It's the set text, the Mm. set GCSE text. And they are brought back in theatres for that result. They know they're going to get the kids in. Mm. And they're made on a small budget, and it's crap. Mm. And it's largely awful. And we are taught from a young age that plays and theatre... Both because of education and the quality of the stuff we're watching means shit. Hmm. And boring. Boring. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the b- the biggest thing, isn't it? Yeah. 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 That this is dull. Yeah. And I've seen young people watching Birmingham Royal Ballet who've never been to the Barrier Ballet before, or, or I've seen people watching well funded piece of theatre and they're blown away. Mm. Blown away. It's not that it's not that kids can't enjoy theatre. Mm. So you're just not making something that's actually worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah um so i think that's the problem that theatre has got um and it's p- partly that not everything can pay for itself but do you think
0: that but do you think that it's i i sort of feel like certainly that that was the case and i and i totally go along with that being born out of industrial revolution and necessity mm. but then like i do feel like in the 60s and stuff and if you read about there's an amazing um biography of like uh peter o'toole and ollie reed mm. and all those guys in the 60s yeah. and like they talk about like going into acting and and like everything being quite easy and like mm. drama mm. schools were quite open and um like the the plays and writing and stuff that was going on was all very exciting mm. uh and like and and then like the the added sort of hilarity of it all is then they went on to be like complete lunatics as well just like <laughs> all the crazy stuff they got up to because because they were allowed to. Yeah. Uh, yeah and and yeah. like people reveled in them being like crazy, yeah, wild alcoholic men. Bat-shit. But um but then then it feels like and like that this book deals with it really well. It's like it's kind of like what you were talking about with Walt Disney. It's mm. like the money people and the and and because they also talk about that their adventures in Hollywood and I in, in the sixties in Hollywood like the film industry it was quite wild and exciting and then producers and money people sort of came in mm. and then like Ollie Reed Ollie Reed today if he was born today there's no way he could get pissed on a film set no. because like someone would chuck him out and he'd never work mm. again yeah. Yeah. and like Quite you know, right I mean, what a prick yeah but, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, yeah but like it, it feels like it feels like yes that that certainly was the case in, in with the industrial revolution but then there was like not a renaissance but a movement towards yeah. Yeah. like freedom of expression and like exciting stuff yeah. and like w- weird and wild stuff too There's but was like, and then it, and then it, now it's kind of feel like in this sort of reasonably nanny state world that the mm-hmm. lid's been put on it again mm-hmm. and everyone's sort of back in their box yeah. and, like, we've had a few, like, like, close calls with the economy and yeah. and so, like, back to austerity and also, like, and mm-hmm. while you're at it, like, let, let's put a lid on your creativity and all yeah. that stuff and if you want to do stuff, then fine, like, do... Do a musical and 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 make a bit of money and play it safe, but don't do anything weird and wonderful. Exactly,
1: that's exactly what's happening. And I and I kind of feel like we've sort of gone gone back a little bit, yeah, if that's totally. if that's even possible. There's a brilliant documentary on Netflix that uh, you should look up, and it's the Noam Chomsky one. Mm. Um, and he talks about exactly what you've just said. The '60s uh, politically and across the board was this moment of revolution, and governments had to. Um, really consciously think well, democracy only works when you control the people to a large degree. Otherwise, democracy would just constantly overthrow. If it was a true democracy, no one would stay in number 10 for longer than five minutes you know, mm. because it would be on a whim. So, ways of controlling the people. And one of the ways we've uh, that society has contr- been controlled. And this is not conspiracy theories. This is kind of written in documents that the way we do this is by um, making the new aims, not spiritual or artistic aims. You make the aims um, capitalist ones that are about owning the best car or you covet the things you see in adverts, basically. Mm. So you go, uh, you create a society which lives not in reality, but a hyper-reality. Ironically, I love hyper-reality like Disney World (laughs) (laughs) or the Crystal Maze. Um, But we live in that world. So people aren't, they're not, we don't, most of us aren't activists now Mm. because although there's a great deal that we might be unhappy with we've got just enough and we've got facebook and we've got the we're able to go to tesco and buy a hairdryer for 10 quid and Mm. we've we've made the stuff of commerce very easily accessible Mm. and those are the things which keep us happy you know Mm. and they actively made that decision they the government's in America, studies were written for the government saying this is how you stop all of these student protests and all of this stuff against the war and all that. Mm. You need to make people aspire to a different type of uh, thing. And um, even in big, big uh, entertainment companies, they realised that this star, like Peter O'Toole or, or Oliver Reed, could demand whatever money they wanted because they were the name Mm. And they've tried very hard to control that too. There are still some big stars, but I know, and I'm not going to say who, but I know that there are certain big corporations now in entertainment who will do everything they can to be able to uh, not allow people to become stars. Mm. So you might change roles or the person who plays a role in, say... An animation, or oh, so like as that. to sort of keep a, yeah, so that one person can't on monopolise a character, or okay, um, yeah. so those kinds of thoughts exist. Where they go, how do we not create monsters? Yeah, yeah, and you can see that from a business perspective. You can totally see that if you hmm. if you at the Crystal Maze made one guy your Richard O'Brien. And the whole business rested on that one guy, mm. you would start to go, oh my God, what's he gonna ask for in yeah, year yeah, four? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. at the same time, um you you lose that magic that you're talking about. There, there's such a that the the big stars that we hear now are often our souls. Mm. You hear stories about there are certain very famous British people who have made it big in America and stuff. And you, I've heard many a story about those people that they are completely Just horrible, their way, yeah. horrible human beings. And so, in <laughs> order to get to the top, you have to be rather than a, uh, a lunatic like those people in the sixties, you have to be a dick. Mm. And that's really sad because often those people aren't the most creative people and the most exciting people. Mm. So what it, what what we come back to is this import the import. Import. The import. I've never used that word. <laughs> what is important now is that that um, that companies recognise that. I think that we're talking about. Yeah, go, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I'm not like I'm not like
0: advocating like sort of anarchy and like going back to the '60s no. where everything was cool, man. But like, yeah. I think it's just if i saw 10 things that were the same then then i'd go like well i want to do something else i'd want to i want to do yeah. something different and yeah. i think a, a lot of just just to go like so in real like layman's terms like a lot of what's out there be it tv or film or theatre is like mm. oh well that's worked let's just do that again yeah. Yeah. in a different way mm. and i read a really interesting article in the guardian with with idris elba and it was actually it was actually about sort of the, the lack of opportunities for black actors in in Britain. Mm. That that's what the the focus of the article was about, and and the fact that Idris Elba because he's a brilliant actor and is black and is successful, mm. like that's often been forced upon him to sort of be like a the champion for yeah. it when yeah. it, and he doesn't really want to. And yeah. like fair enough, like he's a human yeah. being and he yeah. can do what he wants. Yeah, he hates black people. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, <laughs> um, and and actually. In in talking about that, he actually he brought up something that was quite interesting, and the interview was like um, like, like like what, what do you watch on telly? And he was like, well, look, um, if I watch telly, I don't really watch telly. But if I watch telly put it this way, I'm not going to be watching a period drama, am I? <laughs> and like, and the interviewer was like, why? And he was like, come on, like like British television's fixation with like one tiny 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 segment of history yeah. which is like basically victorian england yeah. is just bizarre it's yeah. perverse like yeah. and why is that well most likely because downton and abbey did really well so let's just keep making different versions of downton and abbey yeah. watching posh victorians shag each other like <laughs> it's just like and I, like, i was i was like yes idris like yeah. i'm totally with you yeah. like we have such a rich british history mm-hmm. like and and it's not just like of of white britain either like there's a there's a really rich sort of history in the last 50 years like yeah. in britain whereas there's, what there's doing... lots of interesting stuff and like what do we do like it's basically like like posh posh period porn like, yeah
1: yeah and what they're doing instead is they're creating period stuff like there was something recently and i can't remember what it was and it was set kind of medieval britain and they had so they'd set it in the same old sort of period stuff there's another kings and queens type thing. And they'd put in two or three actors of color. And it was like, realistically, there is no way that these characters, mm. these people wouldn't have been white, right? So instead of... There's kind of this um, uh, approach to it that is, instead of really empowering those um, different groups and different stories to tell great stories... We just create the same old shit and go. And call let's make it, sure we have diverse. Call it colorblind casting. Yeah, or whatever. yeah, yeah. And it doesn't make sense. You'd be like casting me and you in a piece about the pyramids, and we're yeah. well, slaves playing the pyramids. There's or... this like new show out at the moment called
0: Harlots. I've not seen. it. And it's like it's just like, and <laughs> and like I, I read another like really good article by this like feminist writer about it, and it's just like, it, like it's just started with like nonsense fact like. Thirty percent of women at this time were whores, and it's just, <laughs> that is the premise for this whole show, and it's basically like let's get people in costumes hey, I'm not saying shagging. That's
1: not true, but that's an amazing stuff. <laughs> no, I mean, and it's not a comedy, no.
0: That's <laughs> no, serious, serious oh drama.
1: 30% of women were whores. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: my God. And then just, oh. like, proceed to have women whoring around for the next hour.
1: <laughs> like, it's just... It's so bad. It's so bad. There's, there's something that goes through everything that we've discussed that I call the lottery winners, that is when you do hear from Peter O'Toole or Oliver Reed or Tom Cruise, or you hear even people like you who are interviewed about doing awesome stuff like this... Um, Talk about how easy it was for them to do the thing they did, but actually, for every um Peter O'Toole you hear, there might be 4,000 people who failed to do that, and they're the lottery winners, they're the people who are talking as if it was dead easy. I just bought a ticket and then you win, you know. (laughs) And it's like, no, it's more complicated than that. Um, and what was it? What was what were we just talking about? Oh, god, lots of stuff literally the last thing you were saying. Oh, the, the TV whores. shows. But... So, um, with the Netflix model, so you get Actually, what it seems like what they're doing is funding the product in the same way you're funding the Crystal Maze, they fund the product really well. First Mm. and foremost, it's a really well made thing, and that then finds a massive audience because people go, The quality of this thing is amazing, but it still involves the lottery winners. Like, still within that, there has to be some famous names. Brad Pitt has produced it, or um, Mm. somebody famous is starring in it, you know. So it's not. Uh, whilst we may sit and say, look, if uh, someone wants to make a play in a local theatre in London, make the product amazing, and if you build it, people will come. Mm. Well, they won't necessarily. Yeah. You have the benefit of being able to call it the Crystal Maze, and so you're you're able to do that. The, whether or not people would have come if you'd called it something else, well, Escape Room's an example of where they Diamond, might have done. Diamond Labyrinth. Diamond Labyrinth would have been great. <laughs> uh, and they might have done. So have done. bootleg. No, that's what i'm just just writing that down um it would have been great um someone's gonna do it maybe 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 the only way right now in the current state of post-revolution creativity Mm. is that you need to go backwards and you need to find something it has to be period dramas it has to be the crystal maze it has to be starring keanu reeves if you're going to do something that you you really want to fund the product and draw an audience to but i think the the, the like I said about the escape rooms, they've been incredibly popular. They don't demand a name or popularity. Um, and I think, so I think there's hope. I think there's hope for whether people have the name Crystal Maze or not. Hmm. Um, I think there's hope. But yeah, I, I think, think it's so. important. I think the people who lead the way, like you and like the big theatres... You have led the way with this. You could have made something shonky, and you didn't. You made something amazing. The theatres, if you have to put on a John Gobber play again, <laughs> make it really, really good. Or you know, if you're going to do Look Back in Anger for the 30th year oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah.
0: So I th- yeah, I'm I'm I am kind of faced with it again. I'm I'm doing? planning to I'm planning to basically uh, we're adapt.
1: In the, we're in the futuristic zone now
0: adapt and translate and bring over a a very famous french play um that well it's it's famous in france and it has a massive sort of cult status in france Mm. and i want to bring it here and introduce it to a british audience and like that for example is going to be something completely original completely new it will never have been seen in in english for starters Mm. and and in britain for seconds but you know, I, I'm going to have to ask myself the same questions. Like we'll probably will have to get a big name in it mm-hmm. to get mm-hmm. bums on seats because yeah. like otherwise you you are always faced with that thing. Like yeah. you, you, if, you, if you are the risk taker and if you are the person trying to bring something original, yeah. like you have to face modern realities. Yeah. And it's like, I can't just shout about how wonderful I think this, this French <laughs> like darkly comic satire is Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. that's not going to be good enough Mm -hmm. people aren't going to be interested enough Mm -hmm. but if like a tom hiddleston's in it Mm -hmm. then like people will come and then they'll go oh god that was actually really good yeah that was interesting yeah i've never seen anything like that yeah so So, like yeah it's there are necessary evils even if you're trying to sort of do interesting stuff
1: i quit theater for the for despite the success in a way so i was doing a play that was i cast somebody who wasn't particularly famous in a in a role and it was an, and it was a dylan thomas thing it was an adaptation and it wasn't a traditional thing this was at theater cluid mm. loads of people we sold out the full run was sold out and the reviews said this is a theatrical watershed and i looked out into the audience. And it was the same Blue Rins Brigade that always came to the theatre. Mm. And that's the moment that I went, I'm going to do something else. Yeah. Because it was so sad. But why? why? Yeah, it just made you feel sad. Well, it just made me feel sad that that whilst that audience loved it, and I love those pe- people for coming, mm. I'm not saying, you know, I've grouped them as the Blue Rins Brigade, but what I mean is the regular theatre goers. Yeah. Um, I I would watch the play on a night that it was great, and I'd watch the play on a night that it wasn't, and... Uh, the audience would love it, th- it the same. Mm. And I went, I, I want a more discerning audience. Mm. I want to find a way of getting people in who will really be honest. And that's when I found radio and spent 10 years on the radio because yeah. you're in people's cars and if they want to call you a twat, they'll text you immediately. <laughs> or, or they'll turn off, you know. And that's the kind of... If, if theatre can engage, if theatre can think like... That's the problem theatre's really got, aside from all the political stuff. Yeah, When I directed... I always thought in the way that um, Brecht said, I was direct as if there's a, a blind man, a five-year-old boy, my father, and somebody else in the audience. And um, and that's how you have to do it. You have to go, you may think that these people are captive. Uh, Theatre has treated the audience as if they're captive for so long that when an actor starts a two-page monologue, they expect the audience to be there at the end. And so there's no pace, there's no genuine energy to it, mm. and it just becomes self-indulgent. Mm. The, 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 the best thing that could happen to theatre is that people learn that they're allowed to stand up and leave whenever they want. <laughs> because then you've got to work for it. Yeah. Which is that why. That would be great. Wouldn't it? Just if you hearing... just had a
0: sign like, encourage <laughs> if you if you think if this is bored, shit, leave.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> just hear the sound of seats flapping up. <laughs> <laughs> when someone's doing a boring yeah. speech, yeah, um, but yeah, it's like not that's, that's
0: that. weird. I'm glad you said that because, like, I mean, there's always like you know when like Hugh Jackman or or Helen Mirren, who I hate, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like there'll be some noise in the audience or someone will like someone's phone will ring, yeah, and like they'll get so indignant a story and like that comes I'm out. I'm fucking acting, yes, yeah. Like, how dare you? Yeah. And it's like actually no, how dare you? Yeah. Like. You need to fucking keep these people yeah. entertained. Like, yeah. this isn't, and actually, like, the, the, the one thing that I say to the actors uh, at, at, at The Maze is like, this isn't about you. Yeah. This isn't, mm. this isn't, uh, this isn't like, I'm going to do some acting in your FaceTime. This yeah. isn't like, this isn't my show. Yeah. Like, you're there mm-hmm. to allow these people for them to be the star of the show. Yeah. You are there to facilitate them yeah. being the show and having a good time. And like, as soon as they get that, yeah. then it's like, oh, you
1: oh, you unlocked it for me. Like, thanks, I know how to do this now. That, and and that's, like, that's, I noticed that with the guy who was our, Richard O'Brien, who was taking us around. Mm. Um, he was so, uh, you know, yes, he was playing a part, but the part was very close to who he was. It's not awkward. When it starts, again, I was like, oh, no, we're going to have to put up with an actor who's trying to do a yeah. performance, so I'm going to have to laugh awkwardly. Yeah, yeah. Actually, no, he was doing exactly what you just said. And it's that's where theatre has gone wrong. Mm. Um, great friend of mine, Russell Gomer, who's who's a really good comic actor, said to me once... The, the the best thing you can do is you have your lines in half of your head and you learn all the thing, but you must keep half the head blank. If you keep half the head blank and aware and ready to react mm. and change and, and work with the audience wherever it is. Yeah. You've got to you gotta learn it and stuff. then forget
0: it. And then yeah. walk on stage and as if you've forgotten it. And be ready. Be ready
1: yeah. for to enjoy it and yeah. and yeah, make it about the audience yeah and some of our actors are absolutely
0: incredible at doing that and i also the the thing that's nice about is it's just it's just you're just talking to other human beings just go in the room they're they're all human beings like so are you believe me Mm. just go and do it. just go and talk to them and i actually i so that is in part in large part why i wanted to get into immersive theater because when i was doing it and in it i saw new audiences coming to it and now that now that we're producing a show mm. like we are there is a new different groups of people out there and mm. like we don't just get older rich white people coming mm. to see our show in fact that's probably the the, the smallest demographic we have like yeah. we get all sorts yeah. old young um groups from different part of the country yep. stag Hindus like all kinds of different groups of people yeah like 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 a group like when I was doing it, there was a like one day I did like ten shows. Like we had one group of like proper geezers from Essex, mm. and then next like some like sort of quirky East London arty types. And mm. like that's that's so interesting to me, yeah, and yeah. that that's why we're we sort of doing it because it's like well it should it should be for everyone. Yeah. And then the reason I said the thing about Tomlin earlier is because like like. My, my brother's younger and like sort of you know used to run with like some not too like mm-hmm. S- mm-hmm. clever people yeah. and um like they'll they'll happily watch like Top Boy on Channel Four and think it's fucking amazing yeah but like you could do a show like Top Boy yeah as a play yeah. and they'd love it yeah they'd absolutely love it but yeah. you just you just need to sort of make them understand that like yeah. and and that. That I don't know, that I don't know how to do, but I'd be up for, I'd be up for trying. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I'd like, I'd, I'd, I'd love to do stuff like that and not just, and also, like, not just, I mean, like, the the Royal Court and places like that try really hard and they do really well and they open up sort of, like, boutique theatres in other parts of London, but, like, but, like, you wouldn't, you can't do it and it be, like, a fucking, like, community project mm. or, like, it can't feel like, like, a, charity project or oh. something like it would have to be it would have to be like a massive level of investment
1: mm-hmm. really fucking good mm-hmm. and like the problem is the funding that does exist for to, to support projects um you do have to appear like that I, I set up a community radio station 10 years ago and our approach was um this has to be professional it has to sound awesome it's aimed at young people mm. in nosley if it doesn't sound bloody brilliant they won't listen to it mm. um and it's in some ways that makes it harder to get funding than the community radio stations that sound awful. Yeah. Because the ones that sound awful are very clearly ticking boxes to, uh, to the naked ear. You know. Yeah. Um, anyway, there's some. But like, if st- but if you got it right, like it would be brilliant. Like yeah.
0: in in the way that like Dizzy Rascal or whoever is gonna mm-hmm. gonna do a sellout show at the O2. Like, there's mm-hmm. obviously like. There's there's people that that want to go and listen to Dizzy Rascal music, but like then like do do a project that that attracts like kids from poorer areas in London, or do a play, but not as a fucking community project, but like mm. as just an excellent play, like as yeah. just like a brilliant piece of theatre, yeah. and like God knows God knows how how you make it feel cool and relevant, mm. and and you break down the, those social barriers, but like. That
1: that would be amazing. That would be absolutely amazing. I suppose what you do is you create a f- phenomenal, all singing, all dancing, brilliant piece of theatre that you know is really good, and you are willing to rent one building, put it in it in the middle of Tottenham for a year, and you're willing to lose the money that that costs, mm. and you put it on every night for a year, mm. and you just wait. Mm. You just do what you've done with the crystal maze. Yeah. You just go, you know what? If three people come in the first week, six people will come in the second week. Yeah. If it's that good. Yeah. And and that's the kind of distance that it takes, I suppose, to, to really grow something like that. But very few people are going to fund that up front. Mm. Very few people are going to go, well, I'll lose money. And that's how Hollywood exists the way it does. You, know, mm. you need to stand in front of the people with the money and say, this is the idea, and it's going to be a winner from weekend one. Mm. If it doesn't make its money in on weekend one, it's dead, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, that that that's just horrible as well isn't it yeah robert redford was saying last year that like it's just he he's shocked he's shocked that there's like that no one's willing to like write a story yeah. it's like where where are these people that write stories yeah. like what's yeah. happened to them yeah why why are we having fast and furious eight i know
1: i know <laughs> there's eight of them well, that's where Disney, again, is in a really interesting place because of Pixar coming along and mm. them. We're having such a good time. Let's stop the discussion now, come back to this next week in a part two. All right, agreed. Okay, more Absolutely. next week uh, as we try and find the crystal in the sand. Forget it. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs>